there are two types of marketing that are going on. What I call list dependent and non-list dependent, right? Yep. I don't care if it's direct mail. I don't care if you're text blasting, you're cold calling, you're RVMing. The thing that you have in common is everyone is fighting over the same list. Yeah. So what is actually getting saturated is not even so much the methods. It's the actual list yeah. and everyone fighting over the same list. When you run on radio, you are not list dependent. You are hitting an entire audience that may have never received a postcard, never received a text because they are not on a list. Yeah. And in my opinion, that is why it stays so consistent and so dependable because there's no really competition around those ears that are hearing them. And we're talking about, like in Dallas-Fort Worth, it's millions. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys, thank you for joining me here again on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you clicking on this podcast and listening to it. And I hope to be able to deliver huge value to you as I hopefully always do. Uh, I know you have lots of options in your day. And the fact that you choose me to be here to listen to right now is super cool. So I'm going to try to bring the the show to you that is going to change your business. And hopefully I did that today. I have on with me uh, today as a guest, Chris Arnold. Chris is a, a guy that I've gotten to know a little bit through some mutual acquaintances. He's doing some cool things in his business. And uh, uh, they're pretty unique, although the strategy or the the um, the tactic has been around forever. He's doing it. And uh, most people are not really taking advantage of this in the real estate industry. It's been used in other industries since the beginning of time. But in real estate, we've not been using it. And uh, I'm teasing it a little bit because I want you to listen to the show because it's good. there's some great, great stuff in here that I think you're going to love. So without any further ado, let me tell you who we're bringing on the show and give you a little more background on him. Like I said, his name is Chris Arnold. He is the co-founder of COSA Investments, one of the largest wholesaling companies in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Uh, it's operated and managed by a U.S. virtual team, which has allowed Chris to run his company while living in Tulum, Mexico. And we get into that a little bit and how awesome it is that he is able to live in Tulum and run his business in Dallas. He's also the founder of Arnold Elite Realty, which is a cutting-edge boutique brokerage consisting of a team of, of seasoned agents. Uh, he's also recently launched his REI radio coaching program, so that's a little hint at what we're going to be talking about. And uh, the program is designed to teach real estate investors the marketing stream that everyone knows about, but no one is doing. So without any further ado, let's get into the interview. All right, Chris, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate you doing this. It's been a little long time coming. I had some technical stuff happening when we were supposed to do it and you hung in there with me. So thanks a lot, man. Hey, man. Glad to hang out. You know it's going to be fun. We're going to have a great discussion. It's going to be good. I know it. And I'm I'm psyched for some of the things I know we're going to talk about because it's going to blow people's minds. And that's that's what we want to do here, right? Like We want to make sure that people are understanding there's more than one way to skin a cat, and there's definitely ways to succeed in this business that they may not have considered. So I'm excited to do that. But before we get too deep into the tactics and all the all the strategies, bring people up to speed a little bit. Who are you? Where do you come from? Why are you even doing this? Why not are you just working in a corporate job, man? Just nine to five. Why don't you just do that? 
Absolutely. I, I don't know, uh, Mike, anyone that probably wants to work a nine to five, maybe a small percentage. Yeah, of the public, exactly. Exactly. And you know, the driver is always freedom um, and yep. what we can do with that freedom. So for me from day one, you know, I've been doing real estate for 15 years now. Um, it was what I started doing right when I got out of grad school. So I never wanted to get a job. You know, I think we've all read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you oh, know, yeah. that, like affected an entire generation oh, of yeah. entrepreneurs and inspired us. Totally. And so the way I got my feet wet is I started on the agency broker side. And so I built up a boutique brokerage, again, representing people uh, buying and selling homes. And then, you know, what I love about real estate is it's not a cul-de-sac. Like you can continue to plug things in without having to launch a business that doesn't make sense with the core of what you're doing. Yeah. And so from there, uh, we started doing fix and flip to wholesaling. And uh, we won one of the largest wholesale companies now uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And the best part is we do that virtually. No brick and mortar office. And so I live down in Tulum, Mexico, okay. which is about an hour and a half south of Cancun full time. I've been to Tulum, actually. We were we were down in that area on vacation and went down there for uh, some sightseeing and stuff. So, yeah, totally, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's a rough so, life, right? Oh, man. You know, living the Caribbean life was something that I always dreamed of uh, being able to do. Yeah. And that's why I love real estate as a vehicle. It's a vehicle to get what I call your freedoms that you really want, right? You want freedom of time so that you can spend it on things that you feel are most valuable. You want freedom of resources. So when you're ready to impact something, you can be the one that writes the check. And I think that freedom of location is also a huge freedom to not feel like you're stuck in place with the business. So true. I mean, you got to love real estate because of that. Yeah, totally. And by the way, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, not competitive, right? (laughs) Not at all. Not at all, man. (laughs) No, no, that's one of the most highly competitive markets in the country. I mean, it's insane. You're doing so the point being what I'm trying to drive home with a joke is you're doing this remotely, you're having success, and you happen to be in one of the most competitive markets on earth. So, um, man, that's awesome. And, And I think this is sort of the dream, right? Like, I don't want to work nine to five. I want to run a company, but I don't want to be a slave to an office. I don't want to have to live in Dallas, Fort Worth if I don't want to, even though it's a nice area, but you want to have that Caribbean life. You want to have that, that lifestyle that that you always dreamed of. And it's like, People talk about it on social media and they take pictures next to, you know, expensive cars and yachts. And it's like, it's all crap, right? But you can do it. It's not like, it's not this pipe dream that somebody else does. It's, it's, it's very doable. And you started off pretty traditionally, right? Representing buyers and sellers. I'm sure that that has its ups and downs, especially uh, uh, representing buyers, I know can be a little bit of a, a pain um, and moved into the the investing side, right? So for people out there that are, that are uh, realtors for that matter, like you can do another aspect of this business. You don't have to keep going out and showing a buyer 15 houses and then you realize they're never really that serious about buying a house. They want to go and look at houses. You can get into the other side of it and and carve out a life that makes sense for you, right? So that's the that's the point of this. And, and the fact that you're doing it remotely is awesome because there are people, frankly, and it can go the other way. We're making jokes about Dallas Worth being very competitive, and it is. But there are people in very competitive markets, and they kind of feel like if I could just launch my business in Iowa, you know, like it would be so much easier. And hey, maybe, maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. But you can do it. You you can have the business that you want where you want in this business, and that's awesome, man. I'd love to hear. Obviously, I know people who are listening want to know 
how did he do it? I'm sitting in this cubicle right now. Like I'm not even supposed to be listening to this podcast. I'm supposed to be cranking out a report and I want to just tell me what he did because I want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I'm in total agreement. And here's the thing, you know, you might complain because you're in a competitive market, but the flip side of that pain and that competition is you're going to see some of the greatest innovation come out of the competitive markets. And so, yeah, there's always that thought I could go somewhere easier, but the reality is, man, it makes you really good at what you do when you're in a market that's highly competitive. Yep. I always say right now, your market's competitive, but the overall market, the real estate market overall is highly competitive right now. In most markets, we're kind of in a seller's market, right? They're, They're getting a lot for their house. They're getting top dollar. And whenever you get in that market, as an investor who we're, we're always looking for houses that we can get for less than obviously retail value. If you can, you know, some people say survive. I say thrive. If you can thrive in this market, when it does go the other way and things get a little easier because there's a lot more supply, you're just going to crush it. You're going to kill it, right? So I say people now who are building their business, they're in really good shape because I think that when the market shifts, there's challenges then too. But the fact of the matter is I've lived through both, right? And there was a time where it was like shooting fish in a barrel. I could have gotten as many houses as I want, but I was just starting out. And so I didn't know what I didn't know. So I wasn't able to capitalize. But every market has its pros and cons. And right now, one of the cons and what people are struggling with is it's super competitive. And there's more people thinking they're going to get, whether it's realistic or not, that they're going to get more for their house than they really probably will. So it's a little bit more of an education for the for the seller. And it's a little bit tougher sometimes in certain markets, especially to get the amount of deal flow that you want. But if you can do it now, man, you're going to you're going to you're going to do well when things change. Agreed. So, okay. I, I'm not here to listen to myself. I want to talk about you a little bit more. So you did the broker route. You went, you, you represented buyers and sellers. You went to the flipping and then the wholesaling. Now you're on this huge wholesaling business virtually. What do you like about wholesaling? Why not just stick with flipping? Or do you flip as much as you wholesale? No, I can tell you exactly why. Okay. I'd rather take a fast nickel than a slow dime. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. you I know, know. We, we started on the fix and flip side and we scaled that up. And uh, again, I'm not anything against fix and flip. But if you look at the scalability of having to rehab properties, particularly properties that need what I would call mid to high level rehabs, right? And you look at wholesaling, which is fundamentally selling paper. um, I would much rather always lean on the business that's going to be much more scalable. And so we have three buckets, right? That we look at our business when it comes to investment deals. And that is either we're going to wholesale it. Um, we're going to wholetail it. And if you're new to the business, that means you're just going to take it down for cash and put it on the multiple listing service as is. And we'll still do what we call light or lipstick rehab. Mm. But those three are much more scalable and easy to do again and again versus the big rehabs we started out doing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I started, I, I have a similar tract as you as I started off as a, I didn't, I never did the realtor thing, but I started off as a flipper and I transitioned into wholesaling. And I couldn't agree more for everything that you said. I, you know, there's a lot of things that are involved in the flip side that is, hey, man, if that's your thing, if you love taking something that's ugly and making it beautiful and you just enjoy that transformation process and managing people and timelines and budget, like go for it. That's awesome, right? There's It's a legit way to go. 
for me, I'm with you. I'd rather take a, a fast nickel than a slow dime. I would rather not deal with contractors all day long, to be perfectly honest. It's just not what I want to do. Um, but we do strategic uh, strategic flips here and there. A lot of a lot of lipstick stuff, right? Where we're going to put in under 10,000 or a lot of times under 5,000 and, and list it again or just take it down, man, throw it back up. That's it's. I like that speed. I like the velocity of wholesaling. It's it's really awesome. So how does your business work? Like how, well, how you're getting leads, let's pin that for a minute because we're going to, we're going to dive into that pretty good. Yeah. But once the lead comes in, how does that flow through your business? You're remote. So let's keep that in mind. I want people to understand that. How does it flow through your business? That's number one. And number two, how do you know people are actually doing something in your business? It's all remote. You mean the people that are working yeah, for us? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So again, the way that I've got my business is we'll take the analogy of the bus, right? And you know, when you first start a business, you have all these seats on the bus that need to be filled. But if you're the solopreneur listening, right? The solo investor, you're literally, your butt is in every one of those seats. Yeah. And your job as always is to fire yourself as quickly as possible from each of those positions and put somebody in there that can actually do it better than you because one of the humbling things about leadership is you begin to realize that there's someone out there that can do every job better than I can. It's <laughs> so true. And so it's really important to yeah. understand that. So the place I'm right now, just to kind of paint a picture is running at the visionary level, which means every seat in our organization is filled. And so there's a director of closing to director of sales to director of disposition, all the way to having a chief operating officer, COO that looks over everything. Nice. Um, and the way that you get to that place is building really good systems, right? Yeah. And a system is, if you listen, like you hear that word, what's a system? It's, it's just simply the way that you process something. Everything you do in your life is a system. The way you get out of bed and get ready in the morning is a system, yep. right? Yep. And so for us, when a lead comes in, um, we definitely believe in answering our calls live. Yeah. Um, we do not run them to voicemail. Um, we have found that that bottlenecks the system. It's not as efficient. Um, and on top of that, conversions go up when you catch people in the middle of the emotion. So yeah. lead comes in, it goes to what we call our prospecting assistants. Um, they are in-house, they work for us, and their job is to pre-qualify that lead, right? Mm -hmm. To get rid of the cold stuff and look for the warm and hot stuff. At that moment, when they have that lead and it's hot, they do what's called an assisted transfer uh, to the acquisition manager so they can make sure the acquisition manager picks up that call and they literally hand it over to the AM. Oh, during that, the call? Live? During the call. Okay, absolutely. okay, nice. If nice. want to know how to do that, there's a company that we use or technology called Grasshopper, which okay. allows you to do an assisted transfer, which what it means is I can put you on hold, Mike. I can call someone else, make sure they're available, come back to you, and then make the transfer. Nice. So it's not just a blind transfer. Okay, grasshopper.com. Yeah, Grasshopper. Okay, cool. We'll put that in the show notes. With Globy Flow, you can plug it into yeah. CallRail, all whatever Teletrack or whatever you use. Okay. At that point, it goes to the AM. The AM's responsibility um, is to determine whether or not we want to set an inspection. So we do not contract properties before inspection because we're not in the business of contracting and then going back yeah. and renegotiating the price. Okay. Again, does it work? Yes, but it's a bottleneck. Yeah. So we rather get it right from the uh, get-go. So what happens is we send out our in-house inspector that works for us. They go out, they inspect the property, they take pictures, they do a video, they send that back to the acquisition manager. And then the acquisition manager's goal is to contract that over the phone. Okay. Worst case scenario is to go out to the house. 
Okay. So for us, that is the most efficient way we've been able to build that process. What is the time loop between the acquisition manager on the phone, setting that appointment for the inspector and the inspector getting out there? How long, what's the yeah, lag time? Our goal is in 48 hours. Within 48 hours. Okay. Because you and got competition. If it goes longer yeah. than that, then we could get beat out. But again, exactly what I was going to ask. in-house inspector. So he's available to go do inspections. Oh, he's in-house. Okay, that's a, that's a good. That's a really good us. point to make. Okay, so that was what I was going to ask. Clearly, it's working for you. My concern, if someone were to present that idea to me, would be, what about that forty-eight hours when other my competition's out there giving them contracts because they don't care if they have to renegotiate, right? So they're, they're giving them contracts. What do we do in that instance? But it sounds like it's not a huge hurdle for you because when you get out there, I would assume the selling point is when we come out and look at it, we're giving you a firm offer. We're not coming back to you for reduction, right? We, what we sell and what we beat out on is professionalism. Yeah. Right. We're not fly by night. We're not just going to throw you a contract. We're going to do this process right. We're going to give you the right price and you don't have to worry about us nickeling and diming you yeah. and coming back. Yeah. And they appreciate that, right? Yep. Because there is a view that a lot of the investors out there can be sharks. Yeah. So we use that to our favor. Yep. That's good. That's a good point to make too, right? Because people worry about, well, what about that time? professionalism, a lot of times we'll beat it out, right? I mean, even just dumb little things like our guys show up with like a polo with our logo, not a huge Same deal, right? Our but, inspector shows up yeah. with a polo with our company name on it, right? Totally. I mean, the that makes a difference, matter. right? Because people perceive that even if it's even if it's not 100% logical, the generation that we're dealing with a lot of times are older generation. They appreciate professionalism. They appreciate uniformity and 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 someone who handles it like a pro, right? So that stuff matters a lot. It, it really does. And if you're worried like, oh, I can't beat out my competition. They're, they're getting there before me or they're whatever. Like, just do the things that you can control. Show up looking like a professional. Act like a professional. Speak like a professional. That goes a long way. So that's huge. That's a good point. Something I don't think anybody's ever met, said on the show before, actually. So that's a really good point. It's actually excellent. So, okay, I get how it flows through. Then you get out there, you you, you have your inspector look at it. AMs are not going out there, the acquisition folks. They're closing over the phone. Any hurdles, any suggestions for that? I know people try to do it, and it doesn't always work out the way they want. What is it, what's the lessons learned on closing over the phone? Uh, first of all, it starts with belief right? So there's just this mindset that in order to do transactions, it has to be belly to belly. And why I say it starts with belief is because we weren't starting off over the phone, we were going face to face. And so you just have to overcome that myth and that fear in your mind that it's not possible. That's half the battle. You know that Mike, just believing yep. that it can be done. Yep. And then from there, right, it's just the type of training and so forth and the ability to connect and build rapport over the phone and not rely on face-to-face -to, -face to do that. Yep. And to understand that it's not black and white. You're not going to get everyone over the phone. You're going to get the person that's older, that doesn't have access to email, is not on social media. Yep. And the reality is they need a handshake <laughs> yeah. and you know a smile face-to-face. -face and yeah that's the case, we'll pop in the car and go over there and do it. But the reality is, even if you did 50% of your business over the phone, you have to realize how much more scalable that is because you didn't yeah. lose three hours driving in traffic, you know, having yeah. extra conversation with someone about the house when you're there and then yeah. driving back. It's just a more efficient system. Totally.
That's awesome, man. That's so cool. So then you have a dispo guy, the, your, your director of dispositions. He's obviously handling finding the buyer and getting it sold. Who who handles the whole title work and all that? Is that your dispo guy? Does he handle all that stuff or you have a separate person? It's a, no, it's a combination. So that's divided up. So we have a director of closing okay. and underneath her, she has another closing manager. So we have two people that are devoted to just the title work process. Yep. Um, and to give you an idea, which I think is crucial to show that, our contract to close time is right at 23 to 25 days. Yeah, Most tight. people are over 50 to sometimes 75. Yeah. So that's because we have two dedicated people that do nothing yeah. but push things through the title company. Yeah. Um, the director of disposition, their job is to do nothing more than resell that property to yeah. our investors. Yeah, we have a similar setup and you know, we preach speed. It's all about speed. Nothing good happens from the point that you sign the contract to you close. Nothing good happens. Only bad things can happen. So the idea of getting that done and, and pushing that through the system is super important. I thought when I started this business, my thought with a trans we call them transaction coordinator, but with that person who handles the closing is what are they doing? The title company does everything. Why do I need this person? And nope. until I started doing it, you know, and I was like, holy crap, it's hurting cats. There's so many things that fall apart and buyers and sellers and paperwork. And the title company is not incentivized by speed at all. So, you know, what do they care if it takes an extra couple of weeks or a month? They don't really care. So yeah, it's having someone in house to push that through is, is man, it's, it's, that's money. Literally it's money. So let's talk about now, I've sort of teased it a little bit and I've, I've held, held you back a little bit from talking about how are you finding your deals? Where This is by far and away the question I get the most. I'm struggling to get enough leads in the system or I'm way overpaying, right? So where are you getting your leads? Yeah, so we have four pillars um, that build up our marketing, but we're going to hit on one in particular that is without question the strongest and the best that we have or cool. have ever set up. So we obviously do online marketing, right? Pay-per-click, SEO, and so forth. Um, the second thing we do, of course, is we do some direct mail. Um, we used to have that really scaled back in like 2016, 17. We were doing like 100,000 pieces a month. Okay. But we all know that uh, that starts to crash a little bit with competition. Yep. So it's much more niched in on the way that we do it now. Um, we do a lot of coal wholesaling or also JVing oh. with investors that need us and our back end to move those deals because we have such a big buyers list. Yep. But bar none, the strongest channel that we've ever had, actually have been doing it for nine years, is radio. Wow, that that blows my mind. It, it's almost as if you're telling me that like you send someone around on a horse to yell through the streets that you have a deal. Like honestly, it seems archaic. You've been doing it for nine years, which tells me it works in good times and in bad. So. That's amazing. How in the world are you doing radio ads? Because I literally don't know anybody else doing radio ads. Well, you hit on the first point. The reason that's so valuable is because there's virtually no competition. Yeah. You know, what I've labeled radio is the marketing source that everyone knows about, but no one is using. Yeah. So radio has been around forever. It is a dinosaur. I do not debate that. The application of radio for investors to find discounted properties, that's what's cutting edge. And the first thing people go is like, really? Radio? Is my you know avatar or demographic listening to radio? And I go, here's the problem. You've confused yourself as your demographic. Yeah. demographic. Your yeah. real demographic is over the age of 50. Yeah. They yep. do not have Spotify. They do not have Pandora. They still 
turn on the radio when they get in their car. And most people around the country have that primary demographic of over the age of 50. Totally. And radio works very well. Yeah, you're right. Don't think about what you do when you get in the car. Think about what your parents or better yet, your grandparents your do grandparents. when you get in the car. Yeah. And <laughs> yes. trust me, they're not popping on Spotify, like you said. So it's a great point. And it really is so counterintuitive to a lot of people, especially younger folks. It's like, wait, that's not what I, I don't look there for people to buy my house. That's not where I go for information. It's like, yeah, you don't, but they do. So go where your, go where your, uh, where your customers are. So, well, you also have to realize how trusted the radio is not just to the older generation, but to all of us. And I'll tell you why, because there's two things that happen on radio and it's the same thing that happens on television. The first one is what we call celebrity status. Yeah. It's where we get celebrities from, right? If you meet someone that you've seen on television forever or even on the radio, right? That attorney yep. that everyone knows that has the billboards and you see <laughs> them, you automatically elevate them in your mind. You're like, oh, that's that attorney that I see on the radio. Yep. Same thing happens to you when you utilize the radio, you get celebrity status. The second thing though, that's uh, equally, if not even more valuable is what we call instant credibility. The listener automatically assumes that you're an expert and you must know what you're talking about because you're on the radio. Yeah. So now as you are getting back into competition, right? The fact that there's more wholesalers, if we go up against a wholesaler with celebrity status and instant credibility, we were talking about professionalism before. Yep. I'm sorry, but we're going to beat you out nine times out of 10 because you're walking to in a house with a seller that doesn't even know who you are. You text blasted them. You probably spam them via direct mail or whatever to get into that house. And we came in in an entirely different way. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So how often do you get the, uh, you know, where you, where you talk to these folks and they're like, I heard you. And they're like super enamored with the fact that they heard you on the radio. I mean, that celebrity status thing. Do you get that? Do your people on the phone get that? Or is it just, you just know it's working or do you actually hear that feedback? No, we, we do hear it. And the reason is, is because I even get texts from friends, right? Or people that are acquaintances that, you know, have my phone number I met at one time. And it's always that text, like, I heard your ad on the radio. <laughs> like, why is it that people have the desire to go, I heard your ad on the radio, right? right it's right. that association of what you're doing, for some reason in my brain translates as important, because you're on the radio, you're on television, right? And yeah, so therefore, yeah. <laughs> I feel need to tell you that I heard you. Yeah, right? exactly. That's hilarious. And it's plus, hysterical. it's like, what are you it's doing psychology. on the radio, man? What are you even listening to the radio for? <laughs> you're my age. You start Too many friends start telling you they heard you on the radio. You have to wonder how old you're getting. That's me. Yeah. That's my friends. So tell me a little bit about the mechanics of this. Like, Okay, so I, my guess is that the, the pushback would be, uh, I don't know what to say. Like, I, I don't... I don't know. My I have a bad voice. Like, what? How, how did you get past your initial like, hey, we're gonna try this? And what are some of those lessons learned on the radio too? Yeah. So, what steers people away from radio are a couple of assumptions, right? So, the first one is the fact that it's not affordable. Um, the automatic assumption is I got to start with a budget of maybe around ten grand a month. That is not true. You can start with a budget of one to two thousand dollars a month. And that's probably less than what you're paying on direct mail right now, right. to be honest with you. My very first station in Dallas-Fort Worth, which is one of the biggest markets for radio, was $1,500 a month. 
Wow. So that's one of the things, obviously, that people assume it's not affordable. Now, when it comes to, as you were touching on, like recording your ad and so forth, just practically speaking, what we have found, and we've split tested, I've had everyone from Rick Carlisle, head coach of the Dallas Mavs, to all of your political guys like Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, and so forth. We have just found that when the owner gets in and records that ad themselves, it pulls a higher lead generation. Okay. And these are, again, doing it nine years. These are all the things like the little layer upon yeah. layer that you learn piece by piece and you end up with a really robust plan and program for how you advertise on radio. Okay, nice. And now that $1,500 when you started out, is that still legit? I mean, 15 I to 2000 I still 2000- have that same station for okay. 1500 Okay. So let me break wow. down the nice. math that's really going to blow your mind. Okay. So when I say that you get on and you own a station, you go on a station full blitz. And full blitz means that you are advertising immediately 100 times per month. If you break that down, that is five times per day, Monday through Friday. Right. So I tell you that my station was $1,500. I was pulling and still am 100 ads out of that station, which means a 60 second spot is $15. Oh, wow. That is amazing. People don't understand. They're like, I didn't realize. And here's what happens. I'll tell you why this happens. The assumption is there. The second thing is we buy our radio like we buy our real estate at a discounted wholesale price. It is no different. And so the worst thing you can do is call a radio station, speak with the sales rep and ask them to send over pricing. They are going to send you retail, which is anywhere from two to four times the amount that we pay. Okay. And so the secret sauce of radio is knowing how to get in and getting those prices rock bottom, because if you buy it right, it's just like a deal, right, Mike? Yep. If you buy the house at a deep discount on the back end, all the other dominoes will fall into place. Totally. If you don't, you're in trouble. You're yeah. probably going to lose money on that flip, right? Yep. The super radio, if you purchase it right, everything else in the sense of metrics falls into place behind it. That's awesome. Okay. I'm sure it's a long conversation, but what can we touch on some of the highlights? How do you buy right? Like, how do you do it? Is yeah. it a matter of, let me, let me just guess. Let me guess. And you can tell me where I'm off. Cause I'm going to try to just guess this from like a, anybody who's listening. Um, I would assume, uh, that there is space that's left over that they can't sell at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter or at the end of the week. There's some there's some line in the sand where they need to get it done and they haven't got it done yet. Is it a matter of timing like that? Almost like a seller wants retail until they have to move and it's eminent, right? Like they're going to lose their house or the, you know, the whatever. Something bad is happening. Now they get under this time crunch and everyone's more negotiable when when time is no longer on their side. So is, is it something down those lines or... A little bit, but okay. I'll tell you where the real uh, secret sauce is in this, right? Okay. So it's just you what, and me, Chris. No one else is going to listen. Yeah. So no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. No, I appreciate so, it. No, no, no. So it comes down to your ability to pull the right reports, um, which we help people do about the station so that you are armed with the specifics of how big that station truly is, right? Okay. Because when you know that, there's a formula that we use based on their size. So here's the really important thing. It's when I call you, Mike, I'm going to make you the sales rep. And rather than calling you and saying, I want to advertise on your station, you know, what do you charge? It's, hey, Mike, I've been evaluating your station. I know that X percentage of the people own homes. I know that X percentage of the people are between this age and this age and this age. I also know that 
by hour and by month uh, and by going back and looking at averages, your listenership is X. I've looked at this, this, and this report, and they are now thrown back. Yeah. How did you even know those reports existed? More <laughs> importantly, how did you know how to evaluate them? So yeah. then I say, hey, Mike, so based on that, this is what your station is worth. Yeah. And this is what I'm willing to advertise. So really what it is, is it's knowing your, uh, I don't want to say enemy, that's a little bit strong, but uh, <laughs> knowing the person that you're going in and you're negotiating up yeah. against, going to war with, let's put it that way. Okay. And that, yeah. that strategy going in armed with information, being an intelligent buyer um, makes a difference. I would assume these guys are now like, all the difference. yeah, they're, they're not Absolutely. talking to you. Like you don't know what's going on. We're negotiating, no, negotiating based on facts. Yeah. Numerical facts, not feeling. Yeah. That makes tons of sense, man. Um, so what percentage of your, of your deals are coming from radio at this point? How, how big most. is that? Most of them? Okay. Yeah, I mean, if I line up those four, um, number one is radio. Number two behind that would be coal wholesale. Okay. And then direct mail and pay-per-click. That would be the no order. No kidding. Coal wholesale yeah. is number two. Yeah. Wow. Coal wholesale is big if you build it right. Okay. <laughs> yes. uh, okay. And let's, still growing. Yeah. Let if we can. If I if I get into numbers that you're like, man, I can't I can't tell you that. Oh, yeah. I'll tell then you then tell me. But I'm just curious because I do coal wholesaling too. Like I think a lot of people do, especially as you start growing and getting a bigger operation. People know, like, man, I have this deal. Like it'd be so much easier just to give it to this person, right? But how how do you do it right? Like what's what are the steps? What are the fail safes you put in place? Like I'll say for me, for example, we don't like co-wholesaling anything that we don't control. And so we have a couple of stipulations when, we, when we're dealing with another wholesaler or somebody in our market is you need to immediately stop marketing it. You need to stop. And, and after we take control of it, you can't accept any offers. We have to be the one that's controlling that, that, that buyer t discussion. And, and we want to have control of the contract. So we make them turn it over to us, like basically wholesale it to us for a dollar kind of a thing. You do the exact same thing. Okay. It is about control without okay. question. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know if we were being control freaks. I was curious how you do it, but no, you, you have to. Yeah. Because here's what happens, right? So for everyone listening, I, Chris, I know you know this, but for people listening who are like, why, why not just go send it to your list and don't worry about it. Here's why. A couple things happen. When the other person has control, and they may be a great person, great guy or great great lady, but the fact of the matter is you send this this deal out to your list and you start creating that buzz. You start having conversations with your buyers. You're getting them excited. And then one of your buyers says, I'll take it at this price. And you say, that sounds great. Let's li let's sign it up. You call your co-wholesaling person and you say, hey, I found a buyer. And they go, oh, I've already sold it. I've already, I've already committed to somebody. It's like, well, wait a minute. Now I have to go back to my buyer and say, it's not available. Like you will decimate your relationship with your buyers. If you have good relationships, if you're pulling these things out from underneath them, because, or worse, somebody sees it listed something cheaper that your other, your co-wholesalers got control of this thing and they're listing it for way cheaper somewhere than what you are. It just doesn't, it's not a good image for you and your company. So that's why we take control of it. I'm sure you've had experiences, Chris, where people have done something weird when you're, when you're, uh, in this situation that's caused you to need this control. So that's, that's why we do it. But that's interesting to me that, uh, yeah, coal wholesaling is something we're not probably doing enough of. And we've always had an opinion in the past of like, basically explaining why we need that control, that things yeah, have okay. happened in the past, right? People have done dumb things like sold it. What you tell a buyer it's sold, uh, your buyer, you have this relationship and you say, Hey man, okay. And you make an agreement and you talk, call the coal wholesaler and they say, Oh, I've already, 
I've already agreed on a price or I already sold it. Like, it's like, what, what are you talking about? Now I got to go back to my buyer and look like an idiot and tell them, oh, I don't actually have the ability to sell you this product. So there's a lot of reasons why you want control, but you do want control for sure. That's awesome. So these are just local guys, I assume. Are you looking for them actively or are they finding you and you're just kind of vetting them out or how is it an active uh, thing? Oh, on no, your part? We, we proactively build, again, we call it your acquisition wholesalers, your ACK wholesalers. Mm -hmm. And so those are the people that are in need of a back end, particularly someone that has a really robust buyers list. Okay. And so, yes, we're very proactive in building a relationship. And one of the key ways that we do that, what my business partner calls is really the learn earn model. And so you're going to come in, you're going to bring deals uh, to me. I'm going to help you move them. But on top of that, I'm also just going to educate you yeah, and be a value to you and answer questions when you need them. So that, that learn and earn model works really well for us nice. um, because we're actually caring about the growth of some of the newer guys uh, and women and really passing on value to them, which they're hungry for. Yeah, totally. And there's so many people who start off in this business and they just don't get that sort of support and they flame out, right? They, they try it. They may even find a deal, but they can't find a buyer for it because they just don't have, they're so worried about getting the deal. They have no idea what they're going to do with it once they get it, right? And they have no support. They have no network. They have no buyers. And I think that that's huge. We do the same thing for people too. We're not as proactive about it. We probably should be. We've sort of had a kind of a, I don't want, I don't want, our good name and our good process to be muddied up with somebody who's going to come along and do something that's going to frustrate us. And we've sort of like isolated ourselves, but we're getting away from that a little bit. We're starting to work more with people because, hey, man, I mean, these these folks need help. And, and we always, you know, I mean, how many leads is enough for you, Chris? Like, is there enough? Like, do you do you need more leads that are free? Of course, I mean, right? Yeah, I'd always take more leads, but the exactly. flip side of that, there, there is always saturation as well. Totally. You can, you can uh, do too many leads. Yeah, for that. sure. But if I said, I've got more free leads for you, are you yeah, interested? I'll Obviously, I'm going to take long. them, right? So, and you've Pretty got that infrastructure. It should be working, right? Let's make, let's put it to work, even if we don't, we're not the ones who found the deal, which is totally cool. So radio ads is what you're doing. Do you, you record all the ads yourself? Yeah. So I record those okay. ads myself, um, which I think again is an important piece to do. Now, if someone's listening going, ah, I'm not comfortable with that, you know, Chris, you know, as you guys are coaching people on how to do radio, do you ever get permission to outsource that? Absolutely. It's not yeah. mandated. It's just split tested to show that it's better. Yeah, totally. And that $1,500, that one to $2,000 budget in the beginning, realistically for the people that you've helped with this all over, is that a is that a number that you can realistically get deals? Like you you'll get leads, but if someone said I've only have two thousand dollars, right? Would you tell them you can expect to get deals from that two thousand, or that's just a starting point? No, you'll get deals, and I'll okay. actually give you what everyone cares about, which is the ROI, yeah. return on investment. Totally. So I'm going to answer that in two ways, right? If you are spending over five grand a month on radio, right? So we spend twenty seven thousand five hundred. What we find is our dollar per dollar return uh, lands somewhere between three to four dollars. To be accurate for us uh, in Dallas Fort Worth, right? It's about three dollars and fifty cents. So for every dollar we're putting in that Coke machine, it's spitting back out three dollars and fifty cents. Right. And any CFO will tell you that if you're running a large, consistent budget, three to four dollar return is great yeah and the reason i'm hitting on that and not bsing it is because i get tired of people fluffing numbers yeah. and throwing people out totally. now 
to my friends that I've helped set this up, right? I, it could be St. Louis. It could be Omaha, right? Mm -hmm. They're spending under five grand. They report back to me for every dollar they're spending at that level. Their ROI is around five to $7. Okay. And of course, the reason that it's higher is because they're spending less money and the law of averages is working in their favor. Yeah. But those are the true no BS numbers on radio. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, the reality is that used to be the ratio. That was the ROI, like you said, a few years back in direct mail. People Mine were getting- literally one to four. Yeah, exactly. It like stayed like one to four, right? Didn't yeah. even really drop down. And then it went all the way down to one out of two. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh -oh. the, here's, here's the mistake. And here's why it's so, it's so cool that you're on and so valuable to have you here, is people remember that and they just- keep pushing money in that direction, hoping it'll magically become that again, right? And, and I've been a little bit of a victim of that too. Like we were hitting those numbers and then we weren't hitting those numbers. And it's like, wait, I'm not doing anything differently. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the same thing and I'm getting different results. And so you just do, like we, we doubled down, like we just did more of it, right? Like this has got to be an anomaly. And then you realize after a while, it's not an anomaly and you really need to move a little bit with the cheese. Now, radio has been around forever. You said that, right? This isn't some new idea that may or may not hold water. It absolutely does. People have been advertising Reddit for years. The problem is everyone assumes the barrier to entry is just too high, too expensive. Like I have to be a major corporation before I'm going to be able to do that. But what you're telling us is that for a, a really, uh, in this, in our world, one to $2,000 is nothing, right? That that budget oh. is pretty pretty pedestrian, right? Especially when you have people spending tens of thousands on direct mail. To divert some yeah. of that into this is only a smart. And here's the key though. I am going to compare it to direct mail, right? Okay. Radio is set it and forget it, right? It's automated. All of the work is primarily done by the radio station. If I contrast that to direct mail, direct mail straight up, it can be a pain in the ass, right? Yeah. You're dealing with the adjustment of your postcard, right? You're constantly trying to get the better list and layer it, et cetera. You're dealing with mail drops, mail companies. It is what I call a heavy lift and high maintenance. Yeah. Radio, you literally throw up your ads and you let them play and you need to occasionally go in and upgrade or top grade your stations to something better. Okay. But other than that, it is a hundred percent inbound. All you got to do is answer the phone and it's the highest quality lead that we've been able to generate today. And then I'm going to tell you, here's probably one of the most important differences. There are two types of marketing that are going on. What I call list dependent and non-list dependent, right? Yep. I don't care if it's direct mail. I don't care if you're text blasting, you're cold calling, you're RVMing. The thing that you have in common is everyone is fighting over the same list. Yeah. So what is actually getting saturated is not even so much the methods, it's the actual list yeah. and everyone fighting over the same list. When you run on radio, you are not list dependent. You are hitting an entire audience that may have never received a postcard, never received a text because they are not on a list. Yeah. And in my opinion, that is why it stays so consistent and so dependable because there's no really competition around those ears that are hearing them. And we're talking about, like in Dallas-Fort Worth, it's millions. Yeah. Millions of people hearing our advertisement on the radio. Yeah. A couple things, you made me think about this, but one thing that I would think you're benefiting from too is people who never would have gotten your card are getting this message. And even if they don't necessarily have a house to sell, 
they might know someone because they're falling in that demographic, most likely. They might know someone who has a, a house to sell. So you're hitting a wider audience. You're hitting people that would have never heard of you that could at least refer you at the very least because you're a celebrity. They heard you on the radio. You must be legitimate, right? Um, but you mentioned something about the set it and forget it. So it brings up another question that I, I have and other people might. How often do you change the message? Are you, You're not literally running the ads from nine years ago still. Like how often do you change up that that ad? In those nine years, we have probably run a total of three different ads. No kidding. Wow. Same ad. And here's why. We have literally like split tested down to the exact thing that we want to say in those ads. And the way that we look at it is it becomes hypnotic, right? Yeah. I'll tell you my best uh, backing on this uh, argument, right? Okay. We had a lady call in one time. It was like after hours, so we didn't catch it live. And um, she left a voicemail. And she said this. I'll never forget it. She goes, hey, I've been hearing you advertise on the radio forever on this like classical station that she listens to. Yeah. And she says, I'm calling to tell you that my kids in the back seat, like young kids, can repeat your ad <laughs> verbatim. She said, just want to let you know you're doing a great job marketing. Keep it up. Those are two kids who don't care about classical music that are probably staring out the window, right. but they're hearing it so much subconsciously, it's getting into their mind. Yep. So that's why we don't come in and change the ads up constantly. Yeah. We like to keep that same message again and again. That's, smart. And that's what we do in our coaching, right? We, we provide the couple ads that we really stand behind that have been split tested. Yeah. And I think that's why, Mike, people you know, get nervous about radio because there's so many variables, right? Yeah. What ad should I play? Should I record the ad myself? When should I play it? Should I do a 60 second spot or a 30 second spot? I mean, it's the list of decisions just keep going yeah. on and on. And what you want to be able to do like anything else is you want to pay for speed and why figure it out yourself and you can hire someone to show you how to do it. Right. That's how I've grown everything that I have. Yep. If someone else knows how to do it. Yeah. I'll pay for it. I'm not going to trial and error it myself. You're hundred percent. I, I couldn't agree more. I think paying for speed is nothing but smart. Like you can bumble around and try to figure it out yourself or you can just accelerate that learning. And I think that's how, I mean, everybody, listen, I, I don't want to go down a big rabbit hole, but you're so right. Most people who have high level success, they learn from somebody. They 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 stood on the shoulders of somebody else to learn how to do something, whether it's an athlete or a, an entrepreneur, right? So yeah, you're preaching to the choir for sure. So let me, I, I want to respect your time here, but let's, you mentioned a few times that you help people with this process. Like how, if someone wants to get a hold of you, they want to do radio ads, how do they get a hold of you and how do they reach out to get more information from you? Yeah, absolutely. So what I tell anyone listening, right, is, you know, you need to start asking questions. You're probably listening uh, and I get this all the time. It's like, Chris, you asked the question, who in my market is doing radio? Uh, I stopped, I asked myself that and I said, no one. And then I picked up the phone and we called in to sign up because yeah. I realized there was no competition. <laughs> So, but you want to begin by literally just booking a call uh, and asking questions. The other thing you have to check is to see if your market is open because we are limiting the amount of people in markets because we are not going to let it get saturated. We're going to preserve it, right? right. So I'm not letting what happened to direct mail happen to radio, but to book a call and see if your market's open and ask questions, you go to wholesalinginc.com forward slash REI radio. Again, that's wholesaling Inc dot com forward slash rei radio and uh, book a call start asking questions and doing your due diligence that's awesome. how you begin 
Cool. And for those of you who are wondering if radio works for you, go ahead and uh, check that out for sure. Um, if you're struggling, like most of uh, people that I know in real estate, to try to find enough leads or cost efficient, right, with the ROI that makes sense, then this might be something to check out for you. So um, I always tell people, like, listen, don't <clears throat> don't think that if, if direct mail doesn't work, that that real estate doesn't work. Don't think if text blasting doesn't work, real estate doesn't work. It's finding what works in your market. It's finding what works for you, what you'll do consistently, what you believe in, what you'll, you know, like you said, answer the phone for crying out loud. Half the time, it's not even the lead flow. It's that people are letting go to voicemail. They're not getting back. But the reality is going in those blue oceans. And, and in this case, we're talking about radio, right? Trying to go in those blue oceans is so much easier than going where everyone is saturating the list or, you know, they're just, there's so many people doing exactly what you're doing in the exact same way. You've got to get out of that. You've got to find a way to differentiate yourself or to make your message stand out from everybody else. And this is certainly one way to do it, man. Listen, I, I appreciate you coming on here uh, and hanging with me through the technical difficulties last week. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. We've talked in the past, but uh, this is the first time face-to-face, -face, I believe. So I appreciate that. Thanks for coming on. Any last words, anything else you want to share or anything else going on? Uh, man, that's probably it, man. Uh, you okay. got to get out there and, and figure out what's working in a competitive market. And you got to get the advantage somehow, some way, or totally. your company's going to end up dying. Yep. Bottom line. That's, that's cross industry too, man. Like that's for anybody. Doesn't matter what business, Doesn't matter what business you're in. Yep. <laughs> exactly. All right, man. Well, listen, it's been awesome talking to you. I appreciate you doing this. And uh, we'll, we'll be talking to you soon. I think I'm going to have to give you a call here pretty soon. <laughs> and we're going to we're gonna have to get into this. Bye. All right, man. Thanks. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a great time interviewing Chris. He's a smart guy running a really successful business in Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, while living in Tulum, Mexico, which is awesome. And I know a goal for a lot of people to be able to run a business that gives them the freedom of location and not just the freedom of location, freedom of time and just freedom in general. So uh, really excited to have him on the show. Uh, I think it was valuable. I think that he's doing some things that not everyone's doing. So that's really cool to get that perspective of someone who's doing something that you haven't heard of before to try to see if there's something else out there that you um, can do to help bring more leads and deals and opportunities into your business, right? I don't think there's a, a marketing strategy that's the end all be all for everyone across the board, no matter what. But I do think it's important, like I said during the show, to make sure that you are at least trying to find opportunities to find leads and get in front of sellers that you haven't thought of that are cost effective, right? It's always about getting more leads uh, at a lower cost so that your profits are higher. So hopefully this was valuable to you. And uh, I had a good time, like I said, interviewing him. So uh, until we meet again, guys, get out there, get started. Nothing in this business, nothing in life ever happens until you just start. So get out there and just start. We'll talk to you next time.